This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 10 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have some icons in the horse industry who have influenced young persons globally with their love of horses and horsemanship. We welcome Bob Cachillon and L.A. Pomeroy with the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association. And we welcome Pat Roberts, my mom, to share about her horse shows and her bronze horses, too. Thank you for supporting our sponsors to make this show possible. And thank you, sponsors, for believing in us. Our first guests today represent the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association and probably agree with the Monty Roberts mantra that says, I don't want any of my students to be as good as me. I want them all to be better. We'll hear more about this from Index Fund Advisors, matching people with portfolios. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Hi, Glenn. I've got my producer, Glenn the Geek, with me here today. Hey, Debbie. You know, in your introduction, you said, I don't want any of my students to be as good as me. I want them all to be better. You know, it was always one of my goals, and, and it surprised people because a lot of trainers are not this way, but it was always one of Jennifer, my wife's goals, when she was doing some serious training, that she always wanted peop- her students to graduate from her to another trainer. Uh, that You know, a trainer that was teaching higher levels because she always thought, that then she succeeded. You know, a lot of trainers never want to let go. She wanted to let go because it meant she did her job. That's wonderful. I totally agree with that. And there's too much of that kind of keeping a brick on the heads in the horse industry. And I think it kind of stems from there's all these secrets out there, you know, and and yours is better. It's competitive. So I get that. But ultimately, you're better if you let it go. And Jennifer is a good teacher if she believes that. That's true. Yeah, she did. And and I think it depends, too, on the discipline. I think some disciplines have gotten better about that and yes. as a whole. And I think it was a natural progression that, that made it happen as opposed Absolutely. to something that was forced. And, and what eventually will happen is all the disciplines will get that way because they'll have to. They'll have uh, to. You, you know, it, it, I think those, I think the trainers that, that are that type that, that like to keep them forever are, are going to end up having to go away. That just doesn't work in the long run. It's and, true. Yeah. It's so it's interesting that, that you said that. I was, I was interested to hear that. Oh, very good. Yeah. No, I think, I think we are changing. It's like open source. You know, here's a geeky term for Glenn the Geek, right? It's like open source. That's right. We, we, re- we realize that, you know, if we're going to really develop things, you really just need to spread the seed because you don't know what wonderful things people will think of. And boy, have we been an example of that in the geeky world. And I think we really have, since natural horsemanship has uh, pled its case on the world forum right now, I think... I, for the last 15 years, I think it really has become boy. I, I will have to say that early on, um, even some of the, I'm not going to name names, but natural horsemanship trainers didn't feel that way. But I think they've all changed too, uh, or they've gone away. Um, and I, I think everybody recognizes that the students and the horses are really the the indicators of what we're doing well or not doing well. And you can't, you can't, they can't 
lie. You know, they don't have the ability to deceive. So there we are. There's the results. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. You don't have to comment. But, uh, you know, Monty has, and, and the whole organization around Monty Roberts, I don't think has ever really been that way. Obviously, you want people to, you know, to keep coming back for tips and for help. But you, I mean, this show is a perfect example of that. You're highlighting other trainers and other people who do what Monty does. So, you're, you know, you have never said as an organization, don't go anywhere else. We just want you to go places that that kind of believe what we believe, and that's what you're highlighting on this show. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing. If you were trying to keep them all in house in that silo, you wouldn't be doing this show. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, we we are just always blown away by uh, the innovations that people are making by just following them. And it's not. Dad would say it's not something he cooked up in his in his basement or anything. It's actually the language of the horse that he's using. So. Hey, it's not ours. Uh, you, you need to nurture that and learn it. But it's a—it's like learning French. It's another language, and it's theirs. It's not ours. So it's wonderful to see what people do with it, and the transference to the humans—that uh, uh, that's a whole other show. You know? Well, <laughs> actually, so much I would like—I would like to say that uh, I flunked French in high school many times, <laughs> and I've done much <laughs> better with—I've done much better with horses. So that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I'm really glad to hear that you speak horse. Much yeah, I speak horse French. much better than. French, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, we have some fun today because I think these people that um, we've been honored to be able to book in here today uh, feel the same way. I think that they are passionate about bringing the youth on. Uh, my mom w- had 47 foster kids go through the house when we were growing up, besides us three brats, you know. So <laughs> I think that pretty much proves everything about their hearts. And um, Bob Cachion is. Uh, he spent his lifetime uh, recognizing the value of, of horsemanship in college. And it doesn't matter their age or level. Uh, they're all welcome to participate just to keep advocating for horses in our lives. That's our theme. Robert Cachione is the executive director and founder of the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association since 1967 with a mission to make riding available to every interested college student, no matter their skill or economic level. Each May, for the past 41 years, IHSA hosts its Intercollegiate National Championships, bringing together 450 of the top college riders in America to compete for individual and team titles, including such former champions as USEF, three-time Equestrian of the Year, BZ Madden. Bob has been recognized for his commitment to college riding with many humanitarian and visionary awards. Joining Bob today is L.A. Pomeroy, who has worked with the IHSA and its national championships since 2008 and is a four-time AHP, American Horse Publications, editorial awards-winning writer. Bob and L.A. will be right back with us after this commercial from Horsemanship Radio. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios. 
risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Welcome, Bob Cashione. Thank you for joining us on the show. And I guess you've got uh, you've got L.A. Pomeroy with you on the phone today, too. Am I right? Yes, I do. L.A. is with us. She's Hi, L.A. Up. Hi there. It's a pleasure to have uh, to have us both on today. Thank you, and thank you to Monty as well. Thank you both. Well, Bob, you we we have introduced you, and and a lot of people know your background, but you have forty plus years of working with college students and horses. What a privilege! Tell us a little bit about that mission statement. Uh, you know, it's just been uh, an incredible ride, an incredible journey. Um, yeah, I started something when I was seventeen years old because my parents couldn't afford me to do to ride and show. And from that get-go, it just caught on and never stopped. And uh, the ride along the way and meeting all these riders and parents and the kids, the coaches and everything else, I I can't begin to explain what it is. Fantastic. Uh, I I love the statement that, that horses teach young people. I would love to hear more about what you think of that? I think they really do. You know, um, I, I'm going to back up here just a little bit. I started something at 17. Uh, I started a club, okay? And the club got okay. so successful right. in school that the school made me a faculty member at the age of 18, teaching. Is that right? Yes. That's and fantastic. And then from there, they gave me $200 to have a horse show to see what I'm doing. So I called the Madison campus. I'm at the TNEC campus of Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. And they had a club. And I said, come on up, Jack Fritz, with your team, but don't bring horses. That was the key, to keep the expenses down. I'll charge an entry fee to all the riders, including me. I was a rider. And Carrie Scrimma, who was also on my team. And we'll, I'll rent these horses up here, and we'll pick them out of a hat, and we'll have beginners against beginners, intermediate, all the way up to open riders. And the first show was 40 kids, six classes, and a little Gymkhana. And then from there, it just exploded and never stopped. But um, I see, uh, when you see these beginner walk-trot riders, or even on the western side, the walk-jog riders, and then they go up to walk-trot canter riders, it's... It's a, a communication that they they create a communication. They find a communication with these horses, and these horses are part of their life, and uh, it's a lifelong process. And uh, it opens a lot of doors for these kids, and they just love it. And the horse mm-hmm. is very much a part of the rest of their lives. Mm. So this communication, this is based on. Oh, I suppose a lot of work and uh, a lot of relationship. What What is the communication that you feel that they're, they're being mentored by the horse? Well, it's, it's 
mentored by the horse, yes, and the communication is there, but a lot of it is also their coach, okay? And when the coach gets involved and, and really educates them, um, I, I see uh, um, a bond uh, being created. Now, in the intercollegiate, these students ride different horses all the time. And when they're back in their barns practicing, the best thing for them to do is ride different horses because the mm -hmm. more different horses they're going to ride, the better rider they're going to become going forward. Yeah. Um, and when they get to the shows, they have to pick a horse out of a hat. They don't even know. And then when they go all the way up to regionals and zones, even to the national championships, they have to pick a horse out of a hat. But they have become better riders, and they found this, they create this bond, really. It happens. It develops. Uh, it, it's a, an amazing thing to see. And I travel all over the country, and I see all kinds of different riders in different programs in the, you know, all these colleges all over the country. And it's just a great thing to see. But they, they create an awareness. They create um, uh, a friendship. There are other words here. Help me out, L.A. Come well, you know, Bob, mm -hmm. what I was going to add and, and what, uh, Debbie, what your, your question reminds me of is that uh, um, every year at the national championships, uh, we have what's called an IHSA Senior Athletic Academic Achievement Award essay winner. And it is one student whose uh, um, eloquence in explaining what the uh, what the experience, what working with these horses, what riding on a college team uh, means to them. Uh, last year, for instance, it was uh, Natalie Natalie Culinary from Dartmouth College, who was uh, who was the winner. And uh, one of the things that, that she said was that four years ago, uh, when she started college, she remembered nervously standing in front of a brightly lit arena uncertain of her future. She was convinced mm -hmm. she's not good enough to, to get on any team. And, and then she said, now four years later, I can walk confidently into any ring, unafraid to make mistakes. That confidence stemming from my learned ability to convert failure into motivation was essential to my academic success and I know will be beneficial to the career path I choose as well. Life after college, she said, will undoubtedly be full of its own hurdles, but the past four years taught her that one ride doesn't really matter. What matters is one's willingness to pursue the long journey. And that's mm, I see why she won. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And, and those rides, uh, that ability to adjust, to learn, to accommodate uh, with each horse is a wonderful talent to be able to take into the professional world. Uh, last, mm -hmm. Was it last year or the year before, Bob, that we had uh, Olympian Peter Leon go to Centenary College? That's right. And he rode, uh, invited as an open uh, division guest. And uh, while, unfortunately, we don't have the, the photo uh, uh, to, to have captured the moment, but uh, Peter is a silver medalist. In fact, I was with him in Atlanta when he got his silver medal on his birthday, and Peter mm. got tossed. 
And 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 afterwards, afterwards, he said that he had a tremendous renewed respect for college riders, college catch riders, that climbing on an unknown horse and figuring them out two, three minutes before you have to go into the ring to compete was a heck of a lot tougher than he thought. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine. I imagine. Well, uh, uh, Bob, you've spent the last 40 years or more, actually now, uh, giving these college students a chance. Uh, What kind of student are we looking at these days? What's the demographic? What you know, if you're a student out there and you're a sophomore in high school and you're thinking, wow, this would be very cool. I would my lifelong desire or I would like to continue. What kind of kids are you getting and helping these days? We are getting the gamut of them. Uh, we have uh, kids that maybe rode when they were 10 years old at camp and then Mm-hmm. never rode beyond that, and now they're in college, and maybe they can't even afford to ride, but they can come mm-hmm. on the team, and they can participate because it makes it affordable for them. They don't have to own a horse, um, and when they go to the shows, they ride different horses. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it really, the gamut is there. And we go all the way up to Metal McClay riders, and many of those riders own their own horses but yet they still want to ride in the intercollegiate. Um, I can go on mentioning names. I mean, we've had four Olympians come through the intercollegiate so far and still going forward. BZ Patton Madden, Greg Best, Peter Weil, Mark Weisbecker, and they've all got on to the Olympics. Um, So it really doesn't matter, and that's why I created, that's one of the reasons why I created the intercollegiate. I don't care about your financial background, and I really didn't care about your riding ability. I wanted to create something that was open to everyone with the possibility of learning how to ride and hoping that you would also have the opportunity to learn how to horse show at the same time. Mm. And so mm, we very have good. the gamut, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, now, well, I'm wondering, you've come through such an interesting time in horsemanship um, from a real traditional time, I would say the 50s, 40s, well, and back, were um, pretty much the same as granddaddy and granddaddy before him in training horses, in showing in the mentality of dealing with horses, at least in the Western United States, and I think we can say that's pretty much everywhere. Um, what What is, as an organization, does your organization encourage or discourage advancements on tradition? And by that, I mean, is your organization dedicated to preserving the tradition, or is it more dedicated to attempting to respect tradition but move it along the road? Now, we preserve the tradition and keep going forward. Uh, however, the riders themselves keep up with the trends, if you will, in maybe the clothing or something like that. But the basics are always there. The English rider has basics. Even the Western rider has basics, okay? Um, And I I think the basics are key, and they stay there, and, and it continues to go forward. Now, then you get into the polishing, and there's where your coach comes in, right? and how good you're going to be. But uh, the basics are there, the basics are always there, and it's great. And and I think, I was going to say, and I I think uh, what what I see uh, demonstrated uh, uh, through the coaches and the the programs 
um, is is that good, solid, um, compassionate foundation of uh, of strong horsemanship. It's almost a running joke uh, how many of uh, our college riders uh, take lessons and drop their stirrups. I, I bet you our kids have the strongest legs <laughs> outside mm. outside of a track gold medalist. They learn to use their seats and stay off of the mouth. Um, everything that good horsemanship has always been that gives an honest and willing partner uh, continues to be translated. And the way these kids love their horses, uh, know them by name, have favorite schoolies, um, root as much for the horses in each class as for each other, it's, it's the whole package. It's the good stuff. I want to add mm-hmm. something to that, too. You know, these young riders in the lower classes, the walk trot, the walk trot canners, or the walk jog, uh, they look up to the open riders, and they, want, they aspire to get there. And then they also have the opportunity to get into regionals and zones with the hope of getting to nationals. Everyone can get to nationals. It's not like a football team where if you didn't play very young, you're never going to make the varsity when you get to college. Yeah. In the intercollegiate, you can come on the team as a walk-trot rider and that year still qualify and be part of the team going to nationals as a walk-trot okay. rider. I don't know of too many sports that allow you to do yeah. something like that. And then mm-hmm. when we have riders like Amanda Forte, for instance, she has two horses in the Grand Prix circuit. She doesn't need the intercollegiate, but she found the team camaraderie she found the team. It was a club sport at Brown University when she went there, and she helped the team not only get to nationals, but she herself rode in the Cashone Cup all four years and won the Cashone Cup. And uh, it was just a great, great thing to see this going forward with things like that. Another girl from Stanford University, who, by the way, is deaf, all right, got on the team qualified all year, got to nationals, and rode in nationals mm-hmm. and won. And by the way, she also became a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, it's a very unique program yeah. with incredible stories every time you turn around. Well, I, I love really, that you're preserving horses in college. That's fantastic. Go ahead, L.A. Oh, I, I was going to say, and, and, and two, in, in part of that learning curve with the, uh, with the Stanford rider, she and her coach had to work together to develop a vocabulary of sign language. Because as we learned, uh, ASL, American Sign Language, is actually very limited in its uh, equestrian vocabulary. Uh, in fact, uh, Rachel is her name. She and her coach, Vanessa, joked that the, uh, uh, the sign for trot in ASL is a little too close to the one for going to the bathroom. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> it's the only it's the only trot that mm-hmm. that they that they know of. Uh. So, and and they're creating this language, especially for the callbacks for those those tests at the at the end to determine uh, the ribbon placing. Right. When you don't know what to anticipate, the judge is going to ask for, and you have to be able to sign that almost instantaneously and and effectively enough that that rider can then go in with a fair chance of competing. 
Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So you've got Equus, the language of horses being quantified now and dictionaries being made. And you also have a whole new language and <laughs> sign language that's equestrian based, I guess I'm here. Uh, you could call it Equus uh, 2.0, the uh, ASL yeah, uh, diver- <laughs> uh, version. Debbie, I do want to touch on the point you just brought up about uh, horses uh, in the intercollegiate. And you know, horses in college, many of the horses in, co- in the college programs get donated to colleges. They're done in the, in the USCF or the AQHA or the NRHA or, mm-hmm. you know, these other big organizations on constant horse showing, horse showing, horse showing, and they get a second chance. They get yeah. a second chance in life, and now they're doing something else where they don't have to jump four foot constantly every single weekend kind of thing, you know, or they don't have to go into these big reigning classes and stuff. And they come down a notch or two, but they still have life. They still have a lot of life and they get a second chance in these programs and they're helping the beginner and the intermediate and those riders coming forward. Uh, It's a great thing to see all over the country uh, for this happening. And then one more thing I want to add, you know, um, these professionals now are standing up and offering themselves as prizes. For instance, on the hunt seat side, we have Missy Clark this past year who is working with the winner of the Cashon Cup. And the winner of the Cashon Cup gets, that's the number one English rider in the country in intercollegiate, by the way, mm-hmm. at the Nationals. She gets a week with Missy Clark. And on the, hunt, on the western side, you have Tim McQuaid. And the winner of the AQHA class, uh, Austin Griffith from Ohio State, he got a week with Tim McQuaid um, to shadow him and be with him for a whole week and then going to a show that weekend uh, and riding in that show. These are great things to aspire to with incredible professionals standing up and saying, I want to help the youth of this country in, in the riding world. Um, we're very proud of it. Fantastic. You should be. You should be. To, to advocate for uh, mentorship and for horses is a, is a powerful thing. Thank you so much, both of you, for being on the show. It's, it's been enlightening to a lot of people who may have not heard of IHSA, but I bet you will now. And I hope that you will support them in their efforts to, to advocate for more uh, uh, participation in college sports and especially with horses. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, L.A., for joining us. Thank, Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Glenn. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse too. Next up on the radio, we have my mom. Pat Roberts is an accomplished horsewoman. She grew up loving horses and has trained, bred, and showed championship horses. She met Monty Roberts in, grad school, in grammar school, and after marrying, they began their careers together, too. A talented artist, it was natural for her to gravitate toward creating numerous sculptures of horse in motion. 
Pat has been honored with many awards, and her sculpture is a part of the permanent collection of the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, Kentucky, the European Museum of Art, as well as in several corporate headquarters, both here and in the United States, here in the United States and abroad. She has collectors in 15 countries and is in the personal collection of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II at Windsor Castle. Welcome, Pat Roberts. Mom, how are you? I'm great. It's it's uh, just neat to be here, and I am so pleased and looking forward to this. I'm honored that you could take the time to, I know you're busy, you're driving from L.A. back to Solvang, back to the ranch, holding the fort down, Dad's in Australia, there's always a million things going on, so I really appreciate you carving out a little time for us today, but I thought it was important that we finally have you on. Dad has, uh, you know, been been hogging the airwaves for our family here. <laughs> it's time to get you well, in there. He does it so well. It's really, you know, that's a hard act to follow. It's true. It's true. He does have a lot of knowledge, but so do you. And I think anybody who's been married to Monty Roberts for 50-plus years, I'm not going to date myself now, too, but <laughs> would have been around a lot of horses by now. But I think it's interesting that you've just recently taken up competing again. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I did, and which goes to prove that you're never too old to start something new. And it's not exactly that it's like new because I competed a lot. After Monty and I were married, uh, I immediately started writing professionally and started showing. And uh, I, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of success. And, of course, I had a great instructor. I had a master mm-hmm. instructor. And uh, he was tough on me. It's, it's tough. You know, I think it's tough for any married woman to be trained by her husband. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's unique uh, for Monty and I. Yeah. Nor for know, horses. We didn't expect so much. No, I know. Yeah, exactly for horses too. So yeah. I had a lot of fun. I showed for many, many years, and then in 1981, when Monty uh, had a back operation, uh, it really changed everything for us. Uh, we at that point we weren't traveling a lot on the road, uh, going to horse shows so much, but we were having a lot of fun team penning. And about that time, uh, the World Championship Team Penning Association was started right in our own valley. In fact, we were part of the the charter members that got it going and established the rules, and it was called the World Championship Team Penning Association. And uh, we we won our share, and we had a lot of fun, but Monty's uh, back operation put an end to that. And it it put an end to really my... uh, uh, desire to uh, go out and get on a horse and, and ride because I felt like I was sort of leaving him behind and it really wasn't fair. So that was in 1981. And then about four years ago, which is 2010, uh, some things happened that uh, changed everything for me, and I decided that I was going to go back and start showing again. And um, I did. I started competing in, in working cow horse and reining, and I just had so much fun, and it, it just, it, everything came back to me. Now, I, when I competed before, I didn't really compete in those disciplines, mm-hmm. so it was rather new, but it was challenging, and everyone kept saying, well, you can't do that. You're just, you know, having, you're, you know, you're at an age where really you should be showing pleasure horses and trail horses, but that didn't excite me at all. 
And so I went for it and totally went for it and started with my rainers and my working cow horses. And it was nice because we had bred some nice horses over the years. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, the mating, figuring out which stallion to take which mare to. But I didn't really gain anything from it like I did when I got on those horses and really you know, got to see what, what they were doing, what it was all about. And it was a challenge, a big challenge. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the story here is you are never too old to start something new. Oh, and right. uh, that could be your tip of the day, or it could be just a challenge for, for women and men all over. I think it's inspiring. I think it's inspiring. So we have a picture. We're going to have that up on the website for people to see of you uh, performing on steel buns. So when I look at it, I think I got to ask you, when I look at that, I think, how do you handle your nerves? I mean, you came back to this, right? So what do you do for your nerves? Do you have any? Oh, gosh, yes. You, you bet I do. But uh, here's, you know, it's something that, that I've learned over the years, and I've heard Maya say this over and over again. Before you go into that class, breathe. Take that deep breath and relax and go, just go in and have fun. And I'm, I'm very competitive. I come from a, a competitive family, as Debbie knows. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it, it was really, in the beginning, it was, even more fun for me because I didn't have expectations. I expected, you know, that I would go out there and I wouldn't embarrass myself, but I could go out and have fun. And then I started doing really well. And the better I did, the the greater the nerves because it started putting more pressure. I put more pressure on myself. Let's put it that way. I expected more and it was more important for me to, to remember that before you go in the ring, take a deep breath and relax. And remember, it's fun. It is competition, but it's still, if it isn't fun, you're not doing it right, and you're, you're not going to enjoy it, and you're not going to keep up with it. So my, my hint here is everyone, learn to breathe. Important. Very good. Yeah, very good. And, and it affects your horses too, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, a horse is synchronized with us. You know, if, if we're nervous, uptight, uh, we, we definitely convey that to our horses. It, it's, you know, it's an automatic. Yeah. Well, you have some beautiful horses. I would love to share with everybody about your, your uh, talent that you took up. I guess you're born with it, but you really uh, expressed it through bronze uh, long after I was gone for college, you started uh, a little second career. Uh, it's a big second career now. Tell us some more about how you transferred that love of horses into the metal in your fingers. Well, you, first I'd have to go back in history a little bit. And actually, uh, I started, I think, before you actually went off to, to uh, university. And mm-hmm. if you recall, when we moved into our home where we lived, where your dad and I live now, uh, yeah. in Solvang on Flag It Up, we had a lot of white walls. It was a cliff-made uh, design home, and there was, you know, what do I put up on those walls? And we didn't have, you know, a lot of money. We didn't have budgets for decorating and things like that. We did all that ourselves. So I decided that I was going to buy canvas, paint, and how-to books, and I started painting. 
And I wasn't very good. If you, if, can you remember the first one I did, Ben? I have one. I have one still, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I know you have one, but the first one that I did was Simon the Simonese. Oh, the first, that? first one. I do. Do you still have that it? That was my, yes. I don't know where oh, it is. It's somewhere around. But, you know, <laughs> anyway. Uh, it was cool. I did, I did this, I did this cat. And it was kind of interesting because when you looked at it, the, the painting, the eyes would move with you no matter where you yeah, moved in the that's room. that's right. That's right. And so I found a wonderful teacher. She was really, oh, she was so gracious. Uh, Mavis Coffin is her name, and she lived there in Falvang. And I, I, I decided I really did need to, to learn to do what I was doing and uh, become more proficient. So I did, and I took lessons, and within two or three years, I started to sell my paintings. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. So, okay, I've mastered the uh, art of painting. I think it's time to move on to bronze. And I found out that there was an adult education class at Santa Barbara City College. It was a six-week course, and they uh, they gave you the, the wax, and you had to provide uh, a frying pan to melt the wax, and they gave you hibachi sticks to make an armature <laughs> and a model. And so my first sculpture was a nude. And uh, and I, I, I felt that it was good enough that I would go ahead and bronze it, which I did. And uh, that was kind of interesting, but I thought, now yeah, you don't really, what I know are horses, so I'm going to go home and sculpt a horse. And I went home and tried it to do a horse with hibachi sticks, and wax, and it didn't work. <laughs> the legs would, would break off. I mean, it just didn't work. And one day, a really old, close friend came through by the name of Jack Swanson. He's a great artist, a CA artist, and, and uh, you know, just a fantastic person. And he said, Pat, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to sculpt a horse. And he says, my gosh, you can't do that. You have to have an armature. And I said, well, what's an armature? Yeah. And he said, what you need to do, if you're going to do a horse and it's got any size to it, you have to use uh, a metal for, for an armature. You have to use pipe and wire. And he drew a picture on a yellow lined paper that I still have and uh, showed me what an armature was. So I went out and bought everything that I needed and started another horse. And this one, the legs stood up, and uh, it, it, it went along pretty well, and I was fairly happy with it. And uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead and bronze this. And I went to Santa Barbara. It was in December, and I put it on the back seat because there was uh, I wanted to do a little Christmas shopping or something. And I came back, and the sun had come through the back seat, and everything was <laughs> melted off the wire. So I went back oh, home and started grown. all over again. <laughs> and actually, I finally did my second bronze 10 years after I did my first book. And, uh, it, you know, it turned out to be a decent, pretty nice, nice piece of, of work. And uh, then it was another five years before I did my third one. But by that time, people uh, expressed interest in purchasing my bronzes. And so then I did get busy, and since that time, I started. My, I did my first one in 1971, second one in 1981, third one in 1986, and then I got busy. And over the years, I've probably uh, sculpted over 70 different. Um, oh, are you uh, at 70 pieces. now? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's getting up there, but 
But see, that was that's another thing that you can do. It doesn't matter what, what age you are. You can always start something new. I didn't have any background in art. I, I think I had one semester in high school, and it was very uninspiring. But mm. uh, you never know what you can do until you try. You, you have uh. to be brave. Yeah, but I think loving it and having a passion for it must help, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, you know, I have, I have the greatest opportunity to learn to sculpt horses because going with Monty to sales to buy thoroughbreds as uh-huh. babies or yearlings, you have to buy really correct horses. So you have to be able to look through that hide and look at, at their actual structure, uh, their their uh, legs and and how their their shoulders are slanted and, and whether they have a, a a perfect triangle or a, a, a triangle that you can uh, live with and mm-hmm. that was a university in itself and so then when it came time to sculpt a horse I had the knowledge to know whether the legs were on correctly uh, whether they were straight or offset or you know I, I had an advantage a, a great advantage and uh, so my life has revolved around horses. My art really does revolve around horses. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I prefer to do more than anything. And I prefer to have my pieces, my sculpture, move. Even though it's a solid piece of metal in the eye of the beholder, it still has to move. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to believe that it's a living, moving thing. And yours do. Uh, you have that beautiful cat from your trip to Africa that just, it, it pounces, doesn't it? It just glides, I think, and moves. People should go on your website and, and check out some of the uh, other. I know you, you mostly do horses, but you've got other. But I've, I've done a couple of cats. I've done a cheetah and I've done a cougar. And the one that you're talking about is a cheetah. And I went yeah. to Africa on a couple of safaris. Love the animals, but particularly cheetahs. They are so graceful and they're an amazing animal. And I did one, I called it hightailing it. And it's, it's, uh, when, you know, they're the fastest animal on earth. And mm-hmm. when they're after, uh, uh, an impala or whatever prey they're, they're trying to run down, uh, mm-hmm. they can make moves and, and change directions like you can't believe. And this one uh, depicts that, and so it's it's a really it's a really neat piece. I, I'm really proud of it. Uh, and it, it, I also did. I was a little bit uh, uh, unusual in is I did it in a different patina. It actually looks like the color of a, a, mm-hmm. a cat that you would yeah. find in Africa. Most of my uh, patinas are the color of the, the bronzes are normally museum black or uh, a nice warm brown, but this is actually the color of a, it's more of a lion because I, I didn't want to put spots on it, but it, anyway, yeah. I, I was really happy with it, and uh, I've got the approval of uh, Jack Hanna. He came through one day, he was driving down the road, and he saw the sign out in front, uh, flag is at Florence, Bonnie, and Pat Roberts, and he just took a flyer and drove in to see if Bonnie mm-hmm. was here, and he was. And uh, so Monty brought him up to the house and was taking him to showing him uh, my sculpture in the house and the, the view of the farm from, from where we live. And uh, as he went through the, the den where Hightailing It was located, I asked him about it. I said, uh, Jack, you know, I could never find a, a, a photograph of a, of a cheetah in this, this position. 
how did I get it or you know? And I don't know whether he was being polite or not, but he said, "Hey, you got it. It was spot on." So I was really, really, really. That's tickled. a good. Yeah, that's a good endorsement. People might know Jack Hanna from the, uh, the all the work he's done with animals and and on. Doesn't he? He appears on the late shows with animals. It, it, he often. Oh, yeah. he he does. Yes. In fact, I think he used to have a, an animal show. And now he, he's, uh, I think he's the head of the Columbus, uh, Ohio Zoo, and uh, he's, he's known all over the world for his work with animals, and he's, he still does lots of uh, advertisements, uh, commercials on television. Yeah, so he Inter- does know. Interesting man. Interesting yeah. man. You know, I, I, what I'm thinking about right now is people wanting to know more about the pharma. You, you you have the place open for people to visit, and you. I know you guys are passionate about hosting people and having visitors there, too. Um, do you want to tell people about where you live a little bit? You, you uh, invite people to the farm? Absolutely. Uh, first off, I think we're probably very, very lucky because we live in, a, in an area of California that is probably the nicest area of and, and as far as I'm concerned, I've traveled all over the world, and I've never seen a place that I would rather live than where we live. It's the San Inez Valley, and it's about 35 miles north of Santa Barbara. It's uh, part of what we call the Central Coast. We're in sort of the southern portion of the Central Coast. And uh, not only uh, is this area known for its wonderful climate, but the soil and the water is abundant, and uh, grape growers have found it, and they are now producing some of the best wine anywhere in the world. Our Pinots and Chardonnays are, are famous, very, very famous. But it's just a, a gorgeous uh, valley. It's open, uh, lots of oak trees, and uh, we have uh, enough water that, that we are green year-round. We, we irrigate. We have, uh, we have wells that are only 375 feet deep, and so we're lucky there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, everyone that, that comes to the valley goes through a corridor of trees. If you go up the 101 and you take off um, on the 246 and head toward Solvang, which is east, uh, you go through this huge corridor of beautiful cedar trees. They're called deodores. And Monty planted each and every one of them. They were 10-footers when they first went in. And now mm-hmm. I don't know how tall they are. They're probably 50 or 60 feet tall. Yeah, They're maybe. huge. But it's, it's a beautiful um, entry into a, a Danish community called Solvang, Sunny Valley, and um, a bunch of Danes moved there. Uh, I think it was in the 30s. I'm not absolutely sure about that. Don't hold my feet to the fire. But uh, <laughs> this, and, you know, it, it's only been there for less than 100 years as a Danish community. And, uh, of course, the Danes are known for their craftsmanship, and, and uh, they're good woodworkers, uh, uh, stonemasons, and uh, uh, they're furniture baking. makers. They're and food. the cookies. Oh, the yes. cookies. Sol- <laughs> the cake. Uh, Solvang <laughs> is known for their Danish pastry. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that we only um, uh, indulge in when we have visitors. So this is so great. So, you, so we can yeah. have You've lured <laughs> every horse person on earth. Now you've got wine, horses, and cookies. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what more? What more can you want? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, weather. You guys- 
the weather. And beautiful wow. weather too. Yeah, we sound like a travel log here, but we do. <laughs> but don't I, we? I, I think it's impressive though that you always do welcome people because people do ask all the time. You know, is it okay to come in? Those gates are there, and I always joke that the gates are to keep the horses in, but not to keep people out <laughs> because you guys are very welcoming, and it is a lot of fun, and it is very peaceful. There's a feeling that comes from the farm that I think people really understand your cause and your message when they when they drive through that long driveway. It's it's really nice. I do encourage people to come visit you. Well, you know, and people people say that when they come through that gate, there's a, a fe- you're absolutely right, a feeling of tranquility. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's like an, uh, an other world experience. It, mm-hmm. It's beautiful. There's no question about it. The landscaping is gorgeous. And, of course, the green fields with the horses and everything. But everything is laid out so comfortably and so welcomingly. And, uh, and and we do have a sign out at the front gate. We do have a gate at, with a button that, that you have to push to, to open the gate because we do need to keep the horses in. But uh, the sign says, visitors welcome, and we yes. do mean it. And we just hope that, that anytime anyone that's listening is, is has a chance to come visit, that they do. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pat Roberts and Mom, for for joining us today, your very first debut on Horsemanship Radio, and I hope we get to have you back lots. Well, I, I hope so, too. This is fun. I mean, I kind of like to jabber. <laughs> <laughs> I think you <laughs> Who would have ever known? I, it's, it's amazing. We, we started having corporate events. We, we have corporations from all over the world that come there throughout the year, and in about I think the mid-80s, I think we had our first one, which was brought to us by a good friend uh, uh, from Santa Barbara. He, he, he was president of the YPO, and um, he, he brought a group of, of 350 people, and I thought, oh, my gosh, how can I have all these people in the house? And, oh, you know, and I was pretty bashful. And I'm really, that, I, I've always been bashful, yeah, you know, but... It was so much fun, and then we started doing it more often, and it it it, it kind of brought me out of myself. I I enjoy getting up in front of people. I enjoy talking to people. Uh, I when Monty's on the road, I do the narration for the demonstrations, and it, it's amazing. That's that's sort of another thing that that I learned uh, that I could do at a much later age. That's right. That's right. You have no fear, girl. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've got a cap (laughs) that says no fear. (laughs) That's right. She does. And it's got bling all over it, and it's true. So, all right. Well, Pat, thank you again for joining us, and people are going to love you. It's going to be a lot of fun getting all the feedback from this show, and um, we'll have you back for a tip. I hope so. Yeah, we will. All right, hon. All right. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Well, Debbie, I didn't know a lot of those things about your mom. And, I, you know, I got to get out to the farm someday. I really have to get to California, Jennifer and I, and pay a visit to the farm because it looks so beautiful. And we've been hearing about it for so long, and we still haven't gotten there. Oh, you would love it. I mean, I know you live in Ocala, Florida, and it's gorgeous, too, but it's completely different, and, and it's really horse country like Ocala is in Florida. It's horse country for the central California coast, and, uh, and you know, it's one of those sort of a hidden gem, but when you start talking to horse people, at least on the western United States, it is Mecca. It and you're really right near Mecca. wine country. 
can can you use a better excuse? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you got the ocean, it, horses, and wine. I mean, there you go. Oh gosh. Yeah, drinking on the beach. There we are. <laughs> there you are, while riding. <laughs> while riding. That's right. <laughs> With your helmet. There you go. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, it is really beautiful. And people come and say, you know, I, I kind of forgot about this part. It feels so far away from L.A. or so far away from San Francisco, but it's really not. And so I really do encourage – a lot of people see the big white gate and they think, ooh, Monty Roberts and, uh, you know, it just looks so covered up. But it's like an oasis when you go through those gates. And mom and dad had insisted when they built the place that they would put visitors welcome on the gate, even if, you know, there's traffic situations in solving – Santa Barbara County is very – careful about their zoning and everything. And uh, we were like, heck with that. We, we're going to have visitors. And uh, people drive and from all over the world. It, it's interesting to walk around the farm and hear the accents. You know, you hear... Look, even uh, Jack Hanna German. showed up. Exactly. It's like <laughs> that. It's really wild because people come from all over the world just to go to Solving. So you have to come. You know so, what? I was thinking about Jack Hanna, too. Now we're going to go back memory lane here a little bit. Uh, but you know, he, you were talking about him being on so many TV shows where I remember him first from was Johnny Carson, of course. I thought that was it. Yeah. yeah. He was Johnny. He was with Johnny Carson when he was really young. And you know, now look, Jay Leno after 22 years has retired. So that's how long Jack Hanna has been around. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we really are dating ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, when they show those Johnny Carson reruns, invariably they'll have one with an animal in it, right? Oh, and it's always Jack Hanna, yep. And, 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 and it, he's hilarious with animals. So, uh, yep, he was great with animals. Terrific. Yeah. Well, let's get to yeah. our tip. Okay, we have a tip today from Philip Rawls. I'm really excited to share this with everybody. Thank you, Philip Rawls, for coming back to help us with a tip today. I know our listeners were excited to hear it from you and about you, and uh, now we're happy to have you back to give us a little tip, some of those things that you um, are observing out there where you are in your accomplishments in life, and to help us out a little bit in our, our walk with our horses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, glad to be back. Um, yeah, I think, I think something that um, I deal with on a, on a consistent basis, whether it's giving lessons to uh, non-pros or riding with other fellow competitors or whatever it is, um, you know, it always seems to come back, you know, come back to, you know, a good solid foundation and working on our basics. Um, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of new ideas and, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, but, um, you know, good basic fundamental horsemanship and, uh, you know, ideology is, I think is, is crucial. Um, you know, we always, we always seem to find, you know, the, the missing link in sometimes it's the most obvious spot. Um, it's usually right in front of us. Uh, you know, I, I feel like it's, uh, really important. Um, I'm, I'm constantly, even in my own program, trying to simplify things. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, making sure that I'm, that I'm cueing my horse in a consistent manner and asking the same way, um, with, you know, proper horsemanship and balance and everything else that it takes to good timing. Um, you know, I think that that's something that, that I am constantly, uh, constantly working on with people. Um, and it's usually just the simple little things, um, that can make the biggest difference for us, whether it's in the show, in the show pen or just riding our horse on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, 
feel like, uh, you know, there's, there's so many good horsemen and good, um, technicians out there all the way around, whether they're showing or just, um, you know, clinicians. I mean, there's a lot of good information out there. Um, I feel like it's important for, uh, for people to, you know, find somebody that they like and that they believe in and, uh, and really try to stick with the program, you know, mm-hmm. all the way to the end, um, uh, because mm-hmm. it's, uh, you never stop learning. Um, but if you're always trying to relearn something, same thing if you're teaching your horse, if you're always, uh, changing the program from week to week um, with different trainers' ideas all the time, um, you're always going to begin a state of confusion mm. because you're not going to understand 100% what you're asking and um, you're not going to be able to convey it uh, the way you need to. So I good feel like tip. that's something that's, that's really important. That is, and that makes good sense. Good sense. Thank you, Philip Rawls. You're welcome. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in March. We have a beautiful uh, Monty special training. It sounds so nonspecific because he just comes in and works with all these different horses March 4 through 8. So I hope people will write to admin at montyroberts.com and learn some more about that. Then he's going off to England March 15, 21, and 29. He'll be performing again, uh, even with Martin Clunes this time at the hand. So you've got to get on the uh, website and see about that. And then he's off to Germany. No grass under his feet. April 4, April 6, April 8, April 11, and April 13th, he'll be demonstrating his mastery all over Germany. Then May 31st, we have Back Home, A Night of Inspiration. We've talked about that before, but now we've had lots of these uh, put on at the farm. We have about one a quarter, and they are inspiring. And the people that come are amazing as well. So come look on the website and learn more about that. Call 805-688-6288 for reservations. It's a beautiful night. Well, to find Monty's calendar and see exactly what he's up to and keep track of everything that's going on over there in Monty's world, you can go to MontyRoberts.com or give him a call at 805-688-6288. For details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you can find the links, photos, and more information about our guests. And as always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook. You can go to Facebook.com slash MontyRoberts or Twitter dot com slash monty underscore roberts and one other thing don't forget the app we have an app that you can listen to horsemanship radio on go to the app store at ios or android and go search for horse radio network it's free it's easy and it's probably the simplest way to listen to the show yeah thank you for adding that for all us non-geeky uh, people It really is easy to use. They'll love having that. And many thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on Horse Radio Network, too, at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. 